0: Welcome to Nerd Heaven. I'm Adam David Collins, the author of Jewel of the Stars, and I am a nerd. This is episode 91 of the podcast, and today, we're talking about the final episode of Stargate Universe. Gauntlet. In celebration, if you're watching the video version of this podcast, you'll notice that I'm wearing my Stargate Atlantis t-shirt. It's the only Stargate shirt I have. And it is way too small for me, so it's actually pretty uncomfortable, but, you know, I thought I'd do something special. There will come a day where I can once again wear this shirt comfortably, but sadly, that is not this day. And if you'd like to check out my original science fiction books, head on over to adamdavidcollings.com books. Alright, the description on Gateworld reads, Cut off from every star and every planet in their path, the crew takes a stand against the drone command ships. Meanwhile, Eli comes up with an extreme plan to escape drone space for good. This episode was written by Joseph Malozzi, whose name I've apparently been mispronouncing for the last two seasons, sorry about that, and Paul Mulley. It was directed by Andy Makita, and it first aired on the 14th of May. 2012. It's with something of a heavy heart that I share with you my thoughts on Stargate Universe for the last time. This, of course, was never meant to be the final episode. It's just a season finale. I'll talk a little about the premature cancellation of this show at the end, but first, let's just take a look at the episode itself. TJ has removed Park's bandages from her eyes, and she's in pretty good humour joking about not having had so much rest in weeks, and Greer stands faithfully by her side. Park is hoping she'll be able to see now. She's looking forward to getting bleary-eyed looking at data. She's been seeing occasional flashes of bright light. The moment TJ tells her to open her eyes is the moment of truth. That's when she's gonna find out if she can see or not. It would be a nerve-wracking moment. I'd be hesitant, knowing that the moment I open my eyelids, I might have to face the worst. Until I open them, there's still the possibility I might be able to see, right? Sadly, after she opens her eyes, it's still dark. She can't see anything. She can't see the light that TJ shines in her eyes. Eli has found a way to track the drone command ships by isolating the subspace frequencies that they use to communicate and plugging them into the ship's long-range sensors. This means that they'll be able to avoid them and find safe star systems to refuel next time they have to. But the news isn't good. The drones are waiting at every gate between Destiny's current position and the edge of the galaxy. Eli sums it up pretty effectively when he says, we're screwed. On Earth, Rush explains to Telford that going off the grid won't work. The seed ships have already done the legwork and found the needles in the haystack, and plotted a course for destiny accordingly. So with drones at every gate, they have no way to get supplies. They've got a month's worth of food. They could really use a supply line from Earth, but the Langarans are still refusing to help. Wolsey continues to push diplomacy, but he's not having much luck. TJ doesn't know if Park's condition will improve. She should have shown some improvement by now. If they don't heal by themselves, there's nothing more that TJ can do. But TJ isn't really thinking about Park. She's thinking about her own death sentence. It sounds like a horrible way to die. Eventually, she'll become fully paralysed, but her mind will still be active. She'll have no way to interact with others, no way to express herself. She'll be a prisoner in a body that no longer works, and that sounds like hell to me. Like I can't imagine hell being any worse than that. It's horrific. Rush is discussing the possibility of going on the offensive, when they need to next resupply. They choose a target, drop out of FTL, and take out as many drones as needed to get what they require. They have the advantage of surprise now that they can track the drones, and the drones still can't track us. He's actually got a pretty good idea for boosting the effectiveness of the shields. Destiny's shields rotate through various frequencies, because different energy weapons will use different frequencies. The closer the shields are to the frequency of the weapons, the easier it is for them to absorb the energy. But since they know they'll be facing the drones, they don't have to guess. They just tune the shields to the narrow band of frequencies that the drone weapons use. I really like this. It's nice to get some techy details on how the shields work, and it makes sense. You can design something to protect you from a known quantity. But destiny was made to go out where no one had explored. The ancients didn't know what races they might encounter, let alone what kinds of weapons they might have. So they had to invent shields that would protect the ship from unknown weapons not yet encountered. Rush has a clever plan, and it should help the ship to withstand attack in a significantly improved way. They've plotted a course for one of the command ships. They're gonna try and jump in, take it out, and jump away. That'll be one less command ship, at least. We get a nice exterior shot, showing us just where on the ship the bridge actually is. It's right up the top of that big high-rise pyramid thing at the back. Chloe is getting so good at plotting these FTL exits that they drop out right in front of the command ship. So close, in fact, that they scrape along its hull. Given the unimaginable vastness of space, that's amazing. The plan seems to be working. The drone weapons are having almost no effect. The command ship is smart. It realises immediately that the weapons are not working. So it instructs the drones to make kamikaze attacks against destiny. And because the shields are tuned to that specific frequency, it can't stop them. They managed to destroy the command ship pretty easily, but they've taken a lot of damage from the drone collisions. They've bought time to get some supplies. Not that there was much on the planet. Eli has a plan that could get them out of all their troubles. This galaxy has turned out To be a pretty rubbish place, infested with all these drones. As Eli puts it, it's a hostile environment. So why don't they just skip it? Fly one continuous FTL jump to the nearest edge of this galaxy, and then fly on through the void to the next in the seed ship's path. Just leave the drones behind and try the next galaxy for size. It's not a bad idea, but they have power issues. The distance between these galaxies is a lot longer this time. Plus, there's damage to the FTL drive. So it'll take 3 years. How will they survive 3 years without food and water? We use the stasis chambers that Rush, Eli and Brodie found a few episodes back. They spend the next 3 years in cryogenic suspension. The big problem with this, of course, is if they miscalculate the amount of power needed By the slightest fraction, they'll have to drift at sublight the last bit, and that could take thousands of years. Rush is convinced it's too risky, but Young orders Eli to make preparations. It's at least an option. He gives Rush 24 hours to come up with a better idea. Camille wants to give everyone one last trip to Earth to say goodbye. That makes good sense, and it's a nice idea. But they'll have to be really quick about it. Every minute they delay this plan means they're losing more power. Russia's real problem isn't so much about the margin of error. It's about the mission. The ship wasn't launched to arrive at some final destination where all the questions will be answered. It's meant to gather information bit by bit as it travels. If they skip this galaxy, they might miss a vital piece of the puzzle. And I share his concern about that. It's a real worry. It could make the entire journey all for nothing. And that's something that Rush couldn't live with. I wish I had a solution for him. Chloe has some wise words for him, though. It boils down to this. If they stay and Destiny is destroyed by the drones, then it really is all over, and all for nothing. If they get out of this galaxy, even if the crew die, Destiny will go on, still searching for answers that it was created to find. And so the plan goes ahead. They're starting to put people into stasis. The Lucian Alliance are among the first. Makes sense. They were never meant to be part of this expedition anyway. Eli goes home via the stones to say a quick goodbye to his mum. The way he starts, I just wanted to come and say goodbye, was not the best way to go about this. (laughs) His mother will obviously jump to the wrong conclusion. Is he dying? Is this the last time I'll ever see him? I guess at least the truth is not as bad as any of the scenarios that she's probably imagining in this moment. But he explains it all to her. Eli is feeling really guilty about this. He feels like he's abandoned his mother. He thinks if he'd made different choices, she wouldn't be alone right now. But his mum won't have any of that, which makes perfect sense. Any parent will tell you they want their children to live a fulfilling life. Eli is seeing amazing things, living an incredible life. That's all we want for our kids. Of course, there's still the pain. If one of my kids was as far away from me as Eli is from his mum, it would hurt. I'd miss them terribly, but I'd also be glad that they were living an amazing life. Proud of them. The thing is, now that she knows the amazing things that Eli is doing, his mum is a much happier person. Her deep depression is gone. And she has friends in a similar situation. Friends like Sharon who understand. So his mum asks him that one question. The only question that matters. Are you happy? And despite everything, he is. And that's all she needs to hear. That's good enough for her. This is such a beautiful scene. But Brody and Volker have found a problem, wouldn't you know it. The last section of pods have taken damage, possibly before they even came on board. They can't bring those pods online. They're not gonna have enough for everyone. They're eight short. In order to repair them, they'd need metals, alloys, from a planet that's seen a lot of meteor activity. They've found one. It had a gate, but it's locked out because it's not habitable to humans. The drones don't know what kind of planet the humans need to survive. They just know this planet has a gate. So there's a command ship there. Even if destiny survived the fight, they'd use up too much power. They'd never be able to make it to the next galaxy. Which defeats the whole purpose of going. Those 8 people won't be able to survive on the ship. The power needed for life support for 8 people would make them fall short. So they need 8 people to commit suicide for the good of the rest. That's impossibly dark. I couldn't enact a plan like that. I couldn't even ask the volunteers. I just couldn't do it. Could those 8 people try to find a planet to settle on? Maybe. But the drones would find them and kill them anyway. Either way, it's suicide. Park is really worried that Greer is going to volunteer to be one of the eight. And he admits he might do it. But he wouldn't ask seven other people to do it with him, and he doesn't think Young would do it either. It's funny how my opinion of Greer has changed so much over two seasons. He's becoming one of my favourite people on the ship. But Park has an idea. Use a shuttle as a decoy to draw the command ship away from the planet. Make it simulate a gate dial. When the drones are away, slip in and get the minerals they need. They could even ram the shuttle into the command ship and blow it up. It's risky, but it's a good plan. It could very well work. It's certainly better than asking 8 people to kill themselves. Greer's right. Young was never going to do that. The command ship takes the bait, so they have a go. I have to admit that watching the command ship explode as the shuttle collided with it brought a big smile to my face. They've got the supplies they needed. Scott has to go say goodbye to his son. And that's hard. What do you say to a kid when he doesn't even know that you're his father. You're just a guy who pops around every now and then. His mother is a good person, but Scott is worried that she's not a good parent. It's a hard situation. When Camille went back to say her goodbye, she told Sharon it wasn't fair on her anymore. She had to move on. That's a hard thing. I see Corporal Barnes in a new way, now that I know that she and Eli got married on Novus. I can't help but wonder, could anything happen between them in this timeline? I know that to an extent, they got together because they were kind of among the last people left that hadn't found anyone. But they made it work. Maybe this version of Elian Barnes could make it work as well. During the montage of people saying goodbye and getting into the pods, we see a shot of Park. In, well, a park. (laughs) It's raining and she's crying. It took me a moment before the true impact of that hit me. She's in someone else's body. She can see. This might be the last time she ever gets to see anything in her life. There's a positive to all of this. All the food they've collected, other than the non-perishables, like the canned goods, is all going to go to waste. So they might as well have a big feast before they go into stasis. And I really like that they get to do that. For the first time in a very long time, they're full. Really full. Of course, Greer can fit just a bit more in. This is a really nice scene. It's a good moment to round off the show with. Our main cast are sitting around a table having dinner. Young makes a speech, acknowledging that they have become a family. They were far from that at the beginning of season 1. But yes, now they're a family. I love how Rush doesn't object to Young calling him the slightly mad uncle who still manages to come through for you. I like that Young and Rush have reached this place. There's no real conflict between them at the moment. There's a real camaraderie in this scene. I know this was written as a season cliffhanger, not a series finale, but this scene really works for its place as a final episode. I can't help but wonder if this scene was added or modified slightly when they knew it would be the last. It's an emotional send-off. And honestly, it works as well as the poker game did at the end of Star Trek The Next Generation. The last of them are going into pods now. Chloe, Scott, Greer, Camille, TJ. As the pods close, only Rush, Young, and Eli are left awake. While Eli and Rush finish the automated programming for the ship, Young checks in with Telford. It's a shame they couldn't get Richard Dean Anderson for one last O'Neill cameo here. But in a way, it's more poignant that it's Telford. He's the one Young has all the history with. He's not going to say goodbye to Emily. Their marriage is over. And Telford tries to apologise. Even though it was the Lucian Alliance programmed personality that cheated with Young's wife. Young stops him. His marriage was broken a long time ago. He has no one to blame but himself. And while I grieve the loss of his marriage, I like the way he takes responsibility for it like this. It's nice to see these two men, who have been such bitter enemies in the past, now parting as friends. Telford promises they're not going to give up on the people on board Destiny. It's another beautiful scene. But wouldn't you know it, there's still one final problem. They repaired those 8 pods, but one of them was more damaged than the others. It came online, but has just died. They're gonna be one pod short. And they can't fix it. If two of them go into stasis, they'll have three weeks for that one last person to try to find a solution to get that last pod working before there's going to be life support power issues. Rush has volunteered, but Young can't trust him. What if Rush really can't get it working? Will Rush sacrifice himself at that time for the rest of the crew? Can Young trust Rush to do that? They've put most of their conflict behind them, but there's still that doubt, and when push comes to shove, I can't tell Young that he's wrong. Rush is no martyr. He's not the self-sacrificing kind of guy. He's selfish, and he has a strong sense of self-preservation. Would he do it? Would he kill himself so the rest could live? I can't guarantee that he would. I don't even think Rush can guarantee that, honestly. He doesn't try to argue it. And in fact, he all but admits to Eli that he volunteered, knowing that Young would not trust him enough to be the one, and so Young would be the one. Young is going to stay. He can't fix the pod of course, but he will sacrifice himself. But Eli has another idea. He'll stay. If Young stays, it's automatic suicide. If Eli stays, he has a chance. He's sick of staying in Russia's shadow, being the he's sick of he's sick of staying in Russia's shadow, being the eager young protege. He's not afraid to say it anymore, and all three of them know it. Eli is smarter than Rush. And that may well be true. It's not fair. One of the most good-hearted people on that ship has to be the one that will very probably die. Young doesn't want this, but he knows it's the only answer. Rush and Eli have a nice last scene together. Rush doesn't want Eli to be the one to volunteer. He doesn't say it often enough, but Eli has amazing potential, and they're going to need him on the other side. But as Eli says, what's the point of having potential if you're not going to step up when you're really needed? And I can't argue with that logic. I don't think Rush can either. I did laugh when Rush says, You've come a long way from that video game slacker. And Eli says, You've been pretty much consistent. So Eli puts Rush and Young to bed, and there he is, alone. On a spaceship full of sleeping people, he turns out the lights when they're not needed. He shuts down the stargate. This is all very symbolic of the show ending, kind of like how JMS turned off the lights on the station on the final episode of Babylon 5. But even more than that, it mirrors the pilot episode, when we first see Destiny and all the lights coming on as we pan through the ship. It rhymes like poetry. And so there he is on the observation deck, looking out at the wispy blue of FDL. The last man standing. Eli gives a little smile as Destiny sails off into the distance. Now I've heard some speculation about that smile. Is he just appreciating the wonder of where he is, or does he have an idea? An idea that will change everything? We don't know. Probably the only person in the world who knows the truth is Brad Wright. I just hope he gets the chance to tell us someday. And so, there ends Stargate Universe. Sounds like Brad had some pretty cool ideas for season 3. As cliffhangers that ended up being finales, it's not a bad way to go. The whole device of everyone going to sleep for 3 years gave us hope. I remember thinking, well, if they can get themselves sorted out, they can always come back and do another season or a movie in 3 years time. That'll be a real-time look at when they should all be waking up again. How cool would that have been? Sadly. Those 3 years went and became 10 years. We still don't know what happened to the brave crew of destiny, to Eli. But Brad Wright had plans. I remember him posting online that while the show was over, he was still fighting for something that would let him bring closure. Not a new series. It was going to be a TV movie. SG-1 had enjoyed some good success with TV movies that went to DVD. He wanted to make one that would combine the casts of SG-1 Atlantis and Universe. One big grand crossover adventure to try to bring the crew of Destiny home. Sadly, even that was not greenlit. And so, the story was lost to history. So what happened? Why did this show really end? Was it the case, as I've heard some say, that SGU was cancelled because it sucked? Obviously, I don't think it sucked. It's my favourite Stargate series. But did it have lower ratings than SG-1 Atlantis? Given that a lot of fans of the previous shows didn't like it, I'd have to say it probably did. But there was so much more going on at the time. And a lot of any bad ratings were actually probably the fault mostly of sci-fi scheduling and the weird stuff they did to the show. MGM was going into bankruptcy at the time. Stargate Universe wasn't the only thing cancelled because of this. They were dropping like flies. And while the DVD movies had worked well for SG-1, the industry was changing. Direct to DVD was no longer a popular thing. Streaming was coming, but wasn't quite here yet. Stargate Universe was this show trying to survive in this weird void between times. Everything was in flux. In the end, I think the show was a victim of timing. The world just wasn't quite ready for it. In terms of audience expectations, but also in terms of how the industry was changing. I will always grieve the loss of this amazing and wonderful show. But despite technically ending on a cliffhanger, I would heartily recommend people watch it. These two seasons give you a satisfying experience. It ends on a bittersweet moment, filled with questions and uncertain hope. And that is perhaps fitting for a show with the tone that SGU had. I'd like to say a big thank you to the crew and cast of Stargate Universe for making my dreams come true. Stargate Universe remains to this day my favourite Stargate show, and one of my favourite sci-fi shows of all time. So is there hope of knowing more? With MGM recently having been purchased by Amazon, it seems likely, if not certain, that Stargate will return someday on Amazon Prime. Will it be the in-canon continuation that we all hope it will be? I have to have faith and say yes. Brad Wright has a pitch. A new show with a pilot script. Joseph Malozzi has read it and says of it, The verdict? fantastic." a perfect series for first-time viewers who know nothing about Stargate but also a richly rewarding experience for longtime fans action, adventure, friendship, humor, cool sci-fi, terrific characters, a compelling story, and one hell of an antagonist. There is a huge fan movement to convince Amazon Studios that they should continue with the existing canon of the last 3 shows and use Brad Wright's pitch. And honestly, I think Amazon will be utter idiots to go in a different direction. They've got to know that this is what the fans want. So we'll see. Brad Wright has been open about the fact that if he does get his show greenlit, he will address the fate of destiny, which makes me very happy. So now we wait. That was Stargate Universe. I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts on this series. I certainly enjoyed watching through it again and recording them. So one question remains. What's next for Nerd Heaven? Well, I want to cover the Dark Knight trilogy, so next time, we're gonna start that by looking at my favourite solo Batman film of all time, Batman Begins. After we've done these movies, we're going to be launching into a new series. Star Trek continues. You may have heard of it. It's actually a fan-produced series, but don't let that put you off. It's fantastic. And it's highly regarded by many, including Rod Roddenberry, the son of Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry, who says he considers it canon to the original series. Basically, Star Trek continues Gears TOS one final season, and provides a big epic send-off, which the original show never had. I can't wait to delve into this show with you. So until next time, have a great two weeks, live long and prosper, make it so.